Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Pastor, revivalist, preacher, then you get then you get teachers that dig in. For the intellectuals out there, you're gonna love Harvest. Amen. Let's stretch our hands to Harvest. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for Harvest. I thank you for who he is to us. We thank you, Lord God, for the gift of God, the teacher, the anointing. Lord, unravel and unlock the secrets and mysteries of your word today. Use them in a mighty way, even for those of us who've been walking for a long time or those who are just walking with the Lord just freshly. Use him with your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give it up one more time for Harvest. What he fails to understand is that that's how Dominicans smile. Right, Joanne? Where's Joanna? That's how we smile. It's always an honor and privilege to speak here. I don't take this lightly. Uh, I may not have always remembered, but <laughs> I don't take it lightly. <laughs> uh, I couldn't, one thing's for sure is I definitely could not be standing here if it wasn't for this beautiful lady right here. And yesterday was her birthday, so if you could all sing with me happy birthday, I'm going to lip sync. She's the, you hear me now? Yeah, I've always been very shy and introvert, and she's, she's not shy at all. And she's very, very bold, and she's recognized uh, a gift of God in me and imparted boldness. And I, am, I publicly speak today because of her, so I always give her honor. I'm still riding on a high from last week. How many of you guys enjoyed Enrique's message last week? He's always brought a good word, but last week, my God, that was an apostolic message if I ever heard one. It was pastoral that brought healing to the soul. It was evangelistic that spoke out to the lost and his passion for the lost. He was incredibly accurate in his exegesis and hermeneutics as far as teaching the word because he does a great job on Wednesdays. And then he brought forth the prophetic element as well. I mean, he just hit all five of the ministries there. That was an incredible, incredible word. And so while he was speaking, the Lord tugged upon my heart. And, and, and when he began to speak about the glory of the Lord, and um, I was scheduled since what, January? Since January to speak. And somehow or another, I didn't put it on my calendar. And so uh, when PG texts me on Wednesday, hey, you ready for Sunday? I said, I'm ready for every Sunday. Oh, so you ready to speak, huh? I was like, oh, man. And so, so I recognized that tugging. So the Lord had tugged upon my heart concerning glory. And so that's what I want to speak to you this morning about, about the glory of the Lord. Um, there's an ancient Hebrew scholar, Nicomonius, and he said that when God speaks, God speaks in multiple layers. That what you read and what you hear isn't all that God has written, all that God has said. 
And so God speaks in multiple layers, and that's why there's passages of Scripture you may have read years ago, but when you read it today, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit unfolds something that was always there that you never saw. And so I'm going to speak about the topic and the subject of glory, and it doesn't contradict a single word that Enrique said. It's just a different layer. Okay? So that's what I want to speak to you about. I'll give you an example. When you look at the Song of Solomon, a lot of people look at the Song of Solomon, and they'll interpret it allegorically from a spiritual aspect, that Jesus Christ being the groom and the church being the bride. And, I mean, Mike Bickle has an incredible series on that. And that's how you would interpret that on a spiritual level. On a soulish level, it's King Solomon and Shulamite. On a physical level, it's a very, very explicit manual on sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. You got to dig deep on that one. And so you can preach from that book on all three levels using the same verses and not be out of context and not be contradictory. Because when God speaks, he speaks in multiple layers. Amen. Amen. And so my text for you this morning is Exodus 33:18. Joanne, thank you so much for bearing with me last minute. Exodus chapter 33:18 and Moses said this, "Please show me your glory." Please show me your glory. Most of the scriptures that I'm going to be reading from today are in New King James. So if you need if you're doing it from your phone or your iPad, you could adjust that accordingly. And follow along. If it's not King James, I'll let you know. So we know that when we need to, when we want to read the word, understand what God is saying in the word, we need to read it contextually. So I've heard many sermons from this text, Lord, show me your glory. And so I want to go back a few verses and I want to put it in context, the conversation that was going on between Moses and the Lord. And so when we starting in verse 12 of Exodus 33, then Moses said to the Lord, see You say to me, bring these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you And I will give you rest. So Moses responds. But then he said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Then Moses says, please show me your glory. So Moses is having this conversation because God is calling Moses to go into Egypt and bring the people out of Egypt. And Moses is is saying, listen, if I'm going to do this, I can't do this on my own. And I need your presence. And his presence represents his power. And I need your favor. I need your grace to be upon me, your ability for me to actually perform this this incredible task. And God says, not only will I give you my presence, but I'm going to give you my rest. He didn't ask for rest, but he said, I'm going to give you my rest. Because when when you enter into the rest of God, then you encounter the peace of God. And the peace of God is the potting soil of revelation. 
and without hearing what the Spirit would say, then we would be lost. So I'm going to give you my presence, and I'm going to give you my rest. So he's telling, he's, he's having this conversation back and forth with Moses, and he answers him and says, I'm going to give you everything you asked for. And so it should have been settled. But Moses has this final question. Then please show me your glory. So what does glory mean to you? Because glory means to me, I mean, when we think about it, and of course, I grew up in church, so I speak English, Spanish, and Christianese. So uh, glory is always, uh, it's the presence of God. It's, uh, it's the, we, we get the goosebumps. The hair stands up in the back. You know, we feel God in his presence. The glory is him shining, his revelation coming to us. And that's how we've all experienced it growing up. That is the glory. Sometimes there's an actual physical manifestation. And we've seen some videos. We've heard stories of things happening in Bethel and things happening in South America and in Africa and in Asia about the glory of the Lord descending. And we see pictures of it in the Old Testament. We see signs of it in the New Testament. So I said, well, I need to find out what is the glory of the Lord. And so in hermeneutics, which is the interpretation of Scripture, there is a principle that I love so much. It's called the first mention principle. And the first mentioned principle is simply this. The very first time a topic is mentioned in the Bible, it carries in that first mention the foundation of its definition. Every subsequent mention beyond that builds upon that foundation. So I wanted to find out where is the first mention of glory? Because I really want to find out with God answering Moses' questions. And Chris, am I doing all right? Because I'm talking about Moses. Enrique, let us know you're the premier theologian when it comes to Moses, so I can receive correction. Only a fool despises correction, so you got me after service, you'll let me know. All right. I want to make sure I'm on point. So he answers his questions, but he still asks that question, show me the glory. So I'm looking at it, and I, I do research, and, I, and, the, and the, the Strong's Concordance takes me to Genesis chapter 31. And it says, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And I'm, and I'm reading through the chapter, and I love the narratives of, of the Bible. And so I'm getting caught up in the story. And, and for those of you who know the story, Jacob falls in love with Rachel. And, and Rachel is actually his cousin. This isn't West Virginia. This is the Middle East. Um, Laban's actually not only soon to be his father-in-law, but is also his uncle. It's, oh. And his mom sent them there. Oh, man, this is... Uh, this is bizarre. But anyway, very different from our culture. And so, um, and I'm reading and I'm getting caught up in the story. So, oh, wait a second, wait a second. I, I got to stay on track. I, I'm getting sidetracked. And so I'm trying to study on glory, but I didn't find the word glory in the text. And so I go back and, it, and it's, no, it says Genesis 31.1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all of this wealth. And so the word wealth there in the Hebrew is the same word for glory. I thought maybe I made a mistake. It's the word kavod in the Hebrew. In the fifth, sixth, seventh definition of it, there's the presence, there's the power. But the premier definition that you'll look up is abundance and riches. And it comes from the root word kavod, which means to be made rich. And so there was the paradigm shift that took place. And so I remember when we first got to 
this church, and I remember PG posting, putting up a video, it was a short clip, I'm not sure if it was you or PK, but I think it was you, and it was Lance Wall now talking about the seven mountain mandate, that the reason why the church has been so anemic and it's affecting the world is because we've only focused on what happens in the four walls within our church, and we haven't realized and taken a kingdom mentality that the church is the vehicle to promote the kingdom, and that kingdom required us to ascend seven specific mountains. It was something that was taught by Bill Bripe, has really been uh, promoted by Lance Warnow and Rick Joyner and Morningstar Ministries. And so when I looked at that seven ma mountain mandate, number one was religion, which is where we find ourselves in. Number two, which is family. Boy, has family have been attacked, right? Everybody wants to redefine what the family is supposed to look like. Uh, number three, education. And we know the, the, the horrors of what's happening in the public education system. Um, then there is the government. Boy, that's a pretty dark place in the government. Uh, pretty violent on social media, too. Uh, and then the media, right? right? If, 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 uh, if, if the media, I mean, if, if it's CNN or Fox says it, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> Nobody does their own research. No, of course not. And then there's the arts and entertainment, right? Because if The Rock says something, right? I mean, surely they know the truth. But that's what we believe. And then finally, the last one is the business mountain. And Lance Warner says it's the business mountain because of the funding that helps undergird the other six mountains. And so I know a little bit about uh, heights and mountains because several years ago, the Lord had called us to go to the highest point of elevation of each of the 50 states. I took my wife and my girls to as many of them that they could possibly go to. <laughs> it got to a point where it was just too much for some of them. And the reason why God had called me to do that, because he wanted me to go to the highest point of elevation and to not necessarily prophesy, but to declare and to decree that state to come back into the plan and will of God that God had intended for that state when God established this great nation, because we've come so far. And so we've went to the top we're not done yet. I think 46, 47 states we've done, and probably the hardest one was Mount Hood. I mean, talking real mountain climbing here. And so ice pick, axe, harness, ropes, and all. And so we did that so we can declare and decree what the plans and purposes was for each state. Alayda, and as later here we were talking about, right, God's plan for the United States in the future. We had that conversation. And so I understand what it, ta it takes research, it takes exercise, and it takes money to be able to get that accomplished. So let's take it back to the text. Moses in Exodus 33, 18 says, please show me your glory. And all I could think of, and this is just me, I think in movies, uh, is that scene from Jerry Maguire when Tom Cruise is losing all of his clients and he's speaking to Cuba Gooding Jr. He goes, what can I do to make you happy? What can I, and, he's, and Cuba Gooding Jr. is like, show me the money. Repeat after me, show me the money. And he has him saying, oh, until finally Tom Cruise is just yelling it. And so before anyone gets a little uh, off tack and offended and you think I'm preaching some prosperity gospel, understand that I don't follow those guys. I don't care what they have to say. I, but at the same time, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not going to take white out and remove a scripture just because it offends you because something happened in your past. All right? So... Show me the glory. And it's interesting because PG went there in the offering, and he even this, I was even going to ask him, hey, what's the budget? I said, eh, 
may, he may not, may not feel, if I asked him, I don't know if he would feel comfortable with me sharing it. And then he goes and shares it, which I loved it. So, uh, um, and he says that this isn't a giant church, right? But, he, but we still have a budget that we have to meet. 25, you said, right? Is that a month? $25,000 a month. And that's the budget for a church this size. So I'm thinking um, the largest church in the United States is Lakewood in Houston. And they have 52,000 registered members, not including visitors, 52,000 registered, and their annual budget is $70 million. Okay? So, and before some of you just lose me on that one, um, understand that he doesn't take a salary from the church. So before any of you start getting offended about that guy, okay? So, which on another note, um, uh, I got four kids, and I love all four of my kids. Uh, and people have always asked us, well, how are all four of your kids so well behaved? Because we beat them profusely when they were young. <laughs> you know, the Bible doesn't say don't hold back gifts from your kids because you don't want to spoil them. It says you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And we didn't spoil our kids. I can do that, but you can't. You can't touch my kids. Okay? So before you put your tongue on some other ministry, understand those are God's kids. And I feel you. I feel you. I'm in some of your houses, and you got kids that are wilding out, and I would love to pull a correa out <laughs> and introduce them to the book of Proverbs. But I respect that those are your kids. So I'll just have some coffee and leave quickly. 52,000 members and their annual budget is $70 million. That's the largest church in the United States. The largest church in the world is Yoido in, Seoul, in South Korea. They have 850,000 registered members in that one church, and their annual budget is $200 million. Okay? So we're all saying, wow, that's a lot. Now, Moses. Moses. Two and a half million members. What kind of budget? Yes, I need your presence. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I need your revelation. I need your peace. I need your rest. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for knowing me by name. But show me your glory. This is a monumental task. You guys still with me? All right. If not, it's just me in the front row, then that's fine. And so I, I want to talk to you about it because it was important. Remember, God speaks at multiple levels. So I'm not negating the glory means the presence. I'm not negating that it means his power. I'm telling you know that, I'm letting you know that this is the Hebrew definition of the word. And so God speaks in multiple layers. And if we simply hear God on one level, if all I did was hear God on a spiritual level on Song of Solomon, right, then I'd be all be caught up with the things of the church, but I would miss what's happening with Solomon and Shula, my bride. Okay? Or we would have marriages that are dysfunctional. Because maybe you learned about sexuality from porn and not from the Bible. It's all in the book. Oh, it got real quiet. Man, you should see your faces. That's all right. So, and I love what PG said. A lot of times we think we talk about money and it's like that shouldn't really mix with the things of the Lord. And then maybe if that's your mindset, I understand that. But when you read the Bible, something new will happen to you, I promise. Okay, and that what happens is, is that you will change the way you think. We are to be renewed in our mind. And the word repentance doesn't mean to confess your sins. It means to change the way you think. 
because what we do is a result of how we feel, and how we feel is a result of how we think. This gospel is cerebral, okay? So he went down the street, and he didn't say confess your sins to confess your sins. He says repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You got to change the way you think. If you change the way you think, you'll change how you feel, and you'll change how you act, you see? And he understood that we couldn't do that in our own strength, so he was crucified on a hill called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, because he knew that the power of the cross had to be applied in the greatest area where you would have warfare. It's not principalities and powers, it's the man in the mirror that we really got to deal with, okay? That's why Paul said don't give place to the devil, because if you give place to the devil, then you give him jurisdiction. But if you don't give place to him, then the only enemy you have is yourself. So the foundation of what, what he was saying here was I need resources to accomplish. I need provision to fulfill the vision. That's what Moses was saying to God. I need provision to fulfill the vision. And the global economic system, the foundation of it, belongs to God. Whether it's the dollar, the euro, the Japanese yen, the peso, the original global foundation for the global economic system was silver and gold. That dollar bill in your wallet or your purse was originally backed by silver and gold. And Haggai 2.8 says, thus says the Lord, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And so the resources that are in the earth, because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, belongs to God. But it's in the hands of a lot of wrong people. So let's take it back to the text. Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, Genesis 31, 1, and that is the very first mention of the word glory. So what was happening there? Because we enter into Genesis 31, 1 in the middle of a story. And we here at RCC, if you don't know, you'll know now, believe that the Bible is the fully inspired word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, it is fully inspired, Okay. And although we believe that, chapters and verses are not. Chapters and verses were added by the Archbishop of Canterbury centuries later. I thank God he did it because it's easier to locate passages, okay? But when I read Genesis chapter 31-1, I'm coming into the middle of a story. So I'm not really understanding what's happening. So, um, so what's happening here is that uh, Jacob is looking for a wife. His mother says, listen, I got a brother named Laban. You haven't even met your uncle. Go over there. So he goes over there. I'm just going to paraphrase it. And he meets Rachel, and, and just, oh, he's just enamored with her, and he winds up going back to the house. And, and he winds up working for his uncle for about a month for free. And his uncle said, listen, we're family, but I'm not going to take advantage of you. You know, what is it that you want? He goes, I want your daughter Rachel for a wife. He goes, okay. That's a fair, fair bargain here, but I need you to work for me for seven years. And, and seven years sounds like a long time, but the Bible says he loved her so much, it seemed like a short period of time, okay? And so he, he now the seven years are up, he goes, okay, my seven years are up, and I would like to marry her. He didn't quite say it like that. He was very much more explicit, but I'm going to be very gentle with you Sunday morning. Um, and I couldn't imagine anyone asking me how he asked Laban uh, for any one of my daughters. Even my son-in-law, he's been married to Crystal how long? Uh, Ten years, and he wouldn't even speak to me that explicitly. But anyway, different culture, right? So he says, I want to marry your daughter. He goes, okay. So they have this big old party, and evidently he must have spiked the Manischewitz wine. He had too much wine to drink. And, uh, it's, and he goes into the tent and consummates the marriage. And how, he, he, I've never been drunk before. 
So maybe some of you may, may, be, relate, may be able to relate to this. I don't know how he could have not been able to discern using Christianese that that was not Rachel. I don't know. Because when he woke up, I, I, I don't know. The Bible says concerning Rachel, in, it says Genesis 29, 17, that she had like a, a dull eye. And it's, it's hard for you to even interpret that in the Hebrew. A, a, Rachel had a beautiful figure and lovely face, but Leah had, was very dull in eye. So I don't really know what that means, but I just imagine. <laughs> all I could think of is Shanene from In Living Color. You wake up in the morning, oh, I bind you, Satan. Oh. Give me the anointing oil. Something went wrong. <laughs> I feel bad for I feel bad for Leah. I, I didn't I didn't write the scripture. I'm just saying. So he winds up marrying her, and he's furious, and he goes and he complains to Laban, "You tricked me." Oh, you know, we have a custom over here. You know, the, the, the younger can't be married before the elder. But I'll tell you what, wait about a week, and I'll give you Rachel as a wife, and, but you're going to have to work seven more years for him. Seven more years. And he's tricked, but he loves her so much he's willing to do it. It's interesting because Leah and Rachel are a type of the law and grace. Okay? The law says you got to work, then you get the blessing. Grace says you get the blessing, then you work for it. And that's what happened with Leah and then with Rachel. So um, for those of you that are single that think, oh, man, two wives, that must be really cool. <laughs> Obviously, you haven't been married. <laughs> hmm. Love Yvette, so don't get me wrong here. But uh, marriage is work, right? And he had to deal with not just one but two. He had to deal with one that he loved and one that he didn't love, okay? One that he was tricked and coerced into being married to. And then because God favored Leah because of the way she was being treated, God opened her womb and she just began spitting out kids left and right. And Rachel didn't have any kids. Rachel's like, well, take my concubine. If two wasn't enough, now he's got three. Leah's like, well, two can play that game. I'll give you my, 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 mine as well. So he winds up having... Each of the maidservants of the wives, he winds up with four, two wives and two concubines, and it is nonstop cat fights. Nonstop. Hmm. Y'all don't know. And so finally, God favors Rachel, and she finally gets pregnant and gives birth. And it says in Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 and 26. And it came to pass that when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place, to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go. For you know my service which, you, which I have done for you. For what you had before I came was very little, and it has increased by a great amount. And the Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now... When shall I also provide for my own house? I want you to repeat after me. My job is blessed because I'm there. It doesn't matter how miserable you are at your job. Your job is blessed because you're there. 
you may not see the numbers. Maybe you don't work in the back office, but that job has increased and been blessed because of your presence. Okay? So when I first read this story years and years ago, I'm like, what a sport. What an ungrateful son-in-law. I mean, think about that, you know? I mean, uh, we started the conversation where Jacob is, is, is walking home from work, and as he's walking home from work, he overhears a conversation of his brother-in-law's, Laban's son, and they're just complaining about Jacob. Man, if this guy continues like this, he's going to take all of our father's wealth. We're not going to have any, any part of our father's business. So what does that tell you? That Jacob was the highest paid employee? He had the most PTO, the most vacation time, the most sick time. He had the biggest bonuses, the biggest shares of stocks in the company. He made more money than everyone except for Laban because Laban was the owner of the business. And so here he was with, I mean, if he wanted to take a day off, hey, listen, I'm, your daughters are driving me crazy. You know, we need a vacation. Oh, go, go, and I'll give it to you with pay. And when you come back, I'll give you a raise. I mean, Laban treated him so good. So for him to say this to Laban, again, you know, you know how many people I know that are miserable at their jobs, that are not being valued and treated right? And here Laban is taking care of his son-in-law slash nephew and so well, and now, and now all of a sudden Rachel gives birth and he wants to bail on him? And he's like, and I'm thinking to myself, man, how ungrateful. For years I have studied the word with a microscope trying to dig deep into the word and God he says, I want you to remove that lens, and I want you to put a macro lens on and step back, and I want you to see the bigger picture. And when I stepped back, I saw something I didn't see before. It wasn't that Jacob wasn't grateful. It's that Jacob never had a job before. He never had a job before because his father, Isaac, was an entrepreneur. His grandfather, Abraham, was an entrepreneur. They were business owners. They never had a job because they were business owners. And for those of you that don't know, and I didn't, I mean, I worked a job all my life. I retired in 2015 from the fire department. So clock in, clock out, and that was my life. And so, but the two things you don't have when you have a job is control over your time and your money. And now... Jacob is in a situation where he comes from a household of business owners and entrepreneurs, and all of a sudden, yeah, he's being treated good, but he's got a clock in, and he's got a clock out. And how much money he makes is not dictated by his efforts, but by someone above him. He finds himself out of control. You guys still with me? Okay. The Bible talks about that Christ has redeemed us, Galatians 3.13, from the curse of the law. And the curse of the law was threefold. It was death, sickness, and poverty. Poverty is part of the curse of the law. But it doesn't, when it says redeemed, it means to bring from out from underneath that spell. So to bring us out, to bring us into what? Galatians 3.14, that we might inherit the blessings of Abraham. And what were the blessings of Abraham, Jacob's grandfather? It says in Genesis 13, 2, that God made him not rich, but exceedingly rich in livestock and silver and in gold. What does livestock represent? If you have, now, I come from a family in the Dominican Republic. My grandfather was a pig farmer, and all his sisters were cattle ranchers. So if you have a lot of livestock, you need a lot of 
land, real estate. Silver is immediate, represents immediate cash, and gold represents long-term cash. So this is the inheritance of what he was raised in, and he finds himself stuck at a job. You guys still here? Okay. I worked a job my whole life, so I'm not putting anybody down for having a job. Just hang on with this ride for me, okay? But I want you to perhaps think outside the box. I want you to think that perhaps there could be a more excellent way. And so there's a friend of mine, slide number one, named Ian Pruckney. He's a worship leader from a church in Michigan that made this statement. Most of us are so busy with things that keep them where they are that they have no time to get to where they're supposed to be. Most are so busy with things that keep them where they are that they have no time to get to where they're supposed to be. Let that sink in. Slide number two. Your salary is the bribe they give you to forget about your dreams. How many of you are walking in what you have dreamt of since you were a little kid? I know I wasn't. I started a family very early. I was 20 years old with a wife and a baby, and I had to work because I had to pay bills. And meanwhile, I was dying on the inside because there was a call and a fire that was burning in me that I couldn't release. Next one. Slide number three. Scam alert. Protect yourself. It's called the 4040 scam. Millions of people around the world have fallen for this. This is where you make someone else rich by working 40 hours a week for 40 years, and then you try and retire on 40% of what you couldn't afford to live on in the first place. This is also known as a job. Next slide. I like this one. Maybe this one will make you laugh because you guys are like, so my boss arrived at work in a brand new Lamborghini, and I said, wow, that's an amazing car. And he replied, the boss said to me, if you work hard, Harvest, and put all your hours in and strive for excellence, then I can get another one next year. <laughs> Slide number five. Warren Buffett made this statement. Because a lot of people th think about, nah, I don't want to start a business because that's just too risky. I need that guaranteed pay. And that was me. That was me. Me and Yvette are very different. If someone says, hey, jump off the cliff, Yvette's already jumping. And in midair, she's got a parachute on and throwing it. <laughs> I'm sitting in the corner. Okay, um, shoulder straps, waist straps, pull this. And she's already gliding all around. I was, no, I need to provide. I need that solid paycheck. I can't think outside the box. And she was always outside the box. You should see how her coloring books. And she's like all outside. <laughs> but put that slide back up. So some of us think it's too risky. So this is Warren Buffett. If you think being an entrepreneur is risky, try working for someone else for 40 years and living off Social Security. Go to socialsecurity.gov, register, put a username and password, put in your Social Security number, and see how much you're going to get for Social Security. And tell me how you think you're going to remain uh, financially sound for the rest of your life with that. Slide number six. He said, you're afraid of losing your job? I'm afraid of finding one. 
I'm not against jobs. We're going we're, we're gonna to bring this back. I'm, I'm going to bring this balance to this. Deuteronomy 28, 13. We're still on the subject of glory here. I haven't got off subject. Okay. Deuteronomy 28, 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. So at a job, where are you at? Don't, rhetorical. Rhetorical question. Where are you at? Not against jobs. I worked a job my whole life. Okay, I just want you to think that there's something else beyond that. The head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and observe, and careful to observe them. Deuteronomy 8.18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant. Not just so you can accumulate things, but to establish his covenant. And that's what we're talking about, by promoting the kingdom of God. It takes finances to ascend those seven mountains. And we need to climb those mountains, and we need to take those mountains by force. Amen. We don't need CNN, Fox, and all the news media. We don't need the movie stars and the singers dictating to us. We don't need the educational system feeding our children lies. But we need finances and resources to ascend those mountains and take it over. So one of the biggest questions that I get, okay, well, if this is what God wants for us, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? I'm just, this is what I've, you know, this is the job that I've had. And that was me. The only thing I knew was Bible and fire, right? I went to three Bible colleges, and I was a fireman, and that's all I knew. And I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know. But the Bible says, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask, right? James chapter 1. And so the Lord took me to this passage in Proverbs, in the King James Version, it says in Proverbs 8.12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Witty, so witty inventions. I got to invent something and get a patent. The Hebrew word for witty inventions is mez ima, mez ima, which literally means purpose, plans, and plots. If you seek God for wisdom and say, God, I want to learn to think outside the box, could there be something more beyond my routine? Could there be something more than this rut that I'm stuck in? Could you give me wisdoms? Can you give me the plans and the purposes to think outside the box? Give me insight as to what I can do. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The mar and I, we teach on leadership, and we're going to be doing more teaching on leadership. But there's, two, there's, three, there's three things, really, when it comes to leadership. And I call, well, I call them M&Ms because there's multiple M's. And it's how you, is what you say. So we're talking about your mouth and money management. So two things, M&M, mouth. And this is one thing I really look for when it comes to leadership. Jesus said in Matthew 5.37, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? For, for whatever is more than these is of the evil one. Some of you have said that you're going to do things and you don't do it. You're not a man and woman of your word. But you want to preach and you want to teach and you want to be in charge. And you can't even control your mouth. Management. Management. So I went to three different Bible colleges and learned a few things about the Bible and knew nothing about ministry. Because to be really engaged, and I, when I say ministry, I'm not talking Christianese. I'm talking about all seven of these mountains. 
marketplace ministry, educational ministry, media ministry, arts and entertainment ministry, political ministry, at whatever level, whatever God has called you to that arena, it's going to require you to control your mouth and to control management. We had the um, one, I used to live in the Bahamas for a short period of time, right before I met Yvette. And my pastor was a guy that passed away. His name is Miles Monroe. And he taught this incredible message on kingdom principles of leadership. In fact, um, you need to get with PK. That video on YouTube was phenomenal. And so uh, he enlightened me to Genesis 2.15. In the New American Standard, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and to tend it. Not to preach, to teach, to counsel, or to prophesy, but to cultivate and to tend it. Now, that word in the Hebrew means to manage. He needed managers, managers of the kingdom. Money. One of the biggest areas that people fail when it comes to management is their finances. <clears throat> and Luke, <clears throat> excuse me, 1611. Thank you, you won't lose your reward. In Luke 16, 11, it says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, mammon means money, then who's going to commit to you the true riches? Some of us want to do so many big things for God, but we can't manage our finances. And it's quiet in here. <clears throat> but we need to think legacy. We need to think generationally. He wasn't just the God of Jacob. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I remember um, driving, this is years ago, 20, 30 years ago, and seeing a bumper sticker, and it said, I'm, I'm enjoying my kid's inheritance. And something about that just is like scratching on a chalkboard. Something about that was just so inherently evil. <clears throat> we need to think beyond. Some of us are having a hard time managing our own finances. We can't even think about how are we going to leave an inheritance for our kids or our grandkids. Right. But listen to this. In Proverbs 14, excuse me, Proverbs 19, 14, it says houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers. Houses and riches. So my daughter, is, my daughter Crystal is already on her second home. She does very well with finances. And my son purchased his home. I would have loved to have been the one to provide that for them. But I didn't know a lot of these things. I didn't think outside the box. I'm hoping to be able to do that for Shawnee, at least for Niati. They're like seven years apart. And so, but we need to think about that. It's not just making bills and paying bills on time and maintaining a credit score because you worship the FICA God. I'm talking about providing an inheritance for your children. And beyond your children, it says in Proverbs 13, 22, that a good man, hey, how you doing? Right? How you doing? You good? That's what most people say, right? So whenever, so, hey, Harvest, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm good. And one day the Lord spoke to me and says, good by whose standards? And immediately the Spirit took me to Proverbs 13, 22, that says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So am I really good? I was just, I spent my, this past week with my two grandkids, a 16 and 11 year old, and I'm thinking, what kind of inheritance can I leave for my grandkids? Because I want to be good in God's eyes. So you may be good in yours eyes, but, you know, good compared to what? Man, it's quiet in here. Slide number eight. 
Slide number eight. Everybody's ready to go broke for their kids, but they won't get rich for them. Oh, I want to give them everything. But meanwhile, you leave them with nothing. Now these, if, they're hitting your, if, they're step, if these are stomping on your toes, I promise you my feet are all bruised. All right? When God gives you a word, it's a sword, but it's not a sword like you think of that has a handle on it. The sword of the spirit has no handle. So when you pick it up, it cuts you before you swing it. It's got to cut you. You got to bleed. It's got to become part of you before you can wield it against the enemy. So I know it hurts. Time and diversification. Time and diversification. Ecclesiastes, I'm wrapping up. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1 says, Cast your bread upon the water, for you will find it after many days. In other words, it's going to take time, okay? And it may seem like you're so far away, but there's an old in American Indian, Native American, okay? I'm going to be politically correct. Oh, God. Uh, proverb that says the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. So don't get caught up in a get-rich-quick scheme, okay? All right, we, I have a friend that made $300,000 on Bitcoin, and I have nine others that went broke. <laughs> so... Don't get caught up in a get-rich-quick scheme. And I'm not against Bitcoin. I'm just, just letting you know. Be careful with things that are just overnight sensations. It takes time, okay? <clears throat> but it's, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Amen. It's going to be worth it when you can control your time and your resources, okay? And so have you ever heard of this saying about having multiple streams of income? Anybody ever heard that? Okay, do you know where that comes from? It comes from the richest man that ever lived, King Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 2, you can put that up in the NIV version. It says, invest in seven ventures, yet in eight, because you don't know what disaster is going to come upon the land. So if your source of income is from one place, your job, which you have no control over, Right? You get fired, you quit, you get laid off for a long. I mean, last year a lot of people were laid off from work, right? You had no control over that. If that's your only source of income, you're up the creek without a paddle. But if you have multiple sources of income, then if one of those things fails, you have others that will still provide for your family. Amen. Invest in seven ventures, yet in eight, because you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Wow, that doesn't sound like somebody with faith. And that's the reason why is because most of us don't really understand what faith is. We think it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't know, but I'm, Dave Chappelle has this skit. And, and every time these, these cops would come and every time they did something wrong, oh, just put some crack, just crack powder on this guy. And that seemed to solve every problem. So it would justify what the cops were doing. Oh, just put a little bit of crack on him. He'd be okay. And we treat faith like that. It's like some pixie does. Oh, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to live by faith. But faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So if you're not living by the word, you're not living by faith. This isn't just some pixie dust in the sky. Faith is substance. Okay? Multiple streams of income. Slide number seven. Warren Buffett said, if you don't find a way to make money while you're asleep, you're going to wind up working until you die. 
So before some of you think, okay, well, now God, you know, Harvest is encouraging us to just chase money. That's not what this is about. Please show me your glory. In Matthew 6.24, the worship team can come up because that's my last verse. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus made this statement. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and that word mammon is money. You can't do both. So does that contradict everything you've been saying? No. You need to learn how money works. And when you learn how money works, then you can have money work for you. If money is working for you instead of you working for money, then you can focus on the Lord, focus on your calling, focus on everything that God has intended for you, your children, and the generations to come afterwards. You guys doing all right? Everyone stand up. You guys like just came out of a war and been beat up. Man, see the faces. They're not used to this. Lord, show me your glory. I want your presence. I want your power. I want your revelation. I want your peace. But I want the provision to fulfill the vision that God has called me to do. We've seen this operate. We've seen this operate in third world nations. Heidi Baker in Mozambique flowing in this. Our friends in South America flowing this. You work the word and the word will work. So I want to do an altar call. You can lock the doors because every time I do altar call, people just leave. I'm going to give the mic to PG in a second. He'll, he'll get everybody up here. But maybe you hate your job and you're at a dead-end job and you're like, is there anything else that I can do, God? I'm just stuck, stuck in this rut. Maybe you like your job, but you want control over your time and your finances. And you're open to multiple streams of income. Maybe there's something inside of you that says, I'm better than where I'm at. Maybe there's something inside of you that says, I'm worth more than what they're paying me. Maybe there's something inside of you that says that my time can be used more for the kingdom of God than this thing that I've got myself trapped into. Maybe you love your job, but now your mind is open to multiple streams of income. And so that's what I want to do an altar call for. But PG, I want uh, Rosie, PK, where's PL? PL still here? Now, before you guys come up, this, I, want to, I want to bring a pastoral revelation or balance to this. Some of you have said to me before privately that you've said, Pastor George, I want to be equipped for life, not just only spiritually, Right? And I think the reason why we haven't gotten a lot of amens, because, you know, usually my style is bringing people to the altar and having people have these life-transforming uh, messages on, on overcoming fear or things like that. But let me tell you something. While, while Harvard was speaking, I want you to listen to this, okay? What, really, what he was really saying, if you read between the lines, if you don't just get stuck in money, 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 you know, like what he was really saying is, you are not the position, your identity is not your job. Like you go to the bank, you're a banker. Well, you have a greater purpose than that. That doesn't mean that, that God is not happy of you having a job. What I believe he was trying to say is, don't be satisfied in life when there's something that God has called you to do. And if you can be able to, let, let me tell you something. 
we, we misquote this all the time. And it sounds spiritual, but it's not. We say, brother, money is the root of all evil. But that's not what God says. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. But let me tell you something. In order for us sometimes to be free to do what God has called us to do, we need to, watch this, this is where I'm, I'm closing, a mind shift on how we view finances. <laughs> See, again, no, no amens. I heard a man of God say this to me before I started the church. He said, you must, i never forget this. He goes, you must shift the way you think if you're about to start this church. Because honestly, I wasn't thinking this way. And then I read an article that said this, the difference between a poor man and a rich man is not their money, is how they think. And if we could be honest with each other, I've been in church for a long time, but can I, do you allow me to be, be honest with you guys? Do you allow me to be real? Can I, can I? Christians have one of the most poverty mentalities that I've ever seen. Seriously. Well, it's just not, you know, brother, I'm just not going to do it. No, you know what? Start that business if, if you're a business owner. Not everyone's going to be a business owner. But you know what? If we're going to dominate or, or, or walk in dominion, we must, hear this, we must tackle the seven mountains. And guess what? It's not one mountain of religion. It's a mountain of arts. It's a mountain of business. This is a true story. How many know where Winter Garden is? How many know where Winter Garden? Lift up your hands. Okay. Do you know that the, re do you know how that separates like Winter Garden that night? It's beautiful. There's lights. There's music on Friday nights. Do you know how it got to that? A but, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about dominion in this area. We need men and women of God that are business owners, right? A group of people got together in Winter Garden that were businessmen, and they were all Christian. Am I right? They were all Christian, and they said, we have the voting majority now. And we say, we're going to have a culture in Winter Garden that is going to be family-oriented, Watch this. And it's going to be, we're going to have music and we're not going to tolerate all these other things. Why? Because that whole culture in Winter Garden is totally family oriented. Why? Because a bunch of business owners says, we're going to dictate the culture of our city. And lastly, I'll say this. This is all just coming out of me. But I really feel this so strong right now. And I don't think I've ever had an altar call about this. But number one, I want to go, I want to honor Harvest. Everyone close your eyes for just a second. There's two quick things I'm going to do. Number one, if you heard Harvest's message and you're like, well, I came to church. I didn't, I didn't come to expecting a financial seminar. Well, what else do you think we're going to, how are we going to live right if we don't get taught the biblical way of how to steward our finances. Some of you are, are frustrated right now because you have so much more to give to the Lord, but you have been a slave of this type of mentality. This innovative people here that God wants to catapult you. Listen, watch this. So that you could use your resources to fund the kingdom of God. So that's one. I'm gonna, that's the first call that I'm going to ask. If you, you've been felt like you're in a rut, and you, you have uh, not been able to think outside of your job. God wants to release grace so that you could do what God has called you to do. But here's number two, and I want you to hear this very clearly because this, this is only probably going to be for a few of you. 
But I want you to hear this because it's all over me right now. Some of you, you, you're, you cry. You, you're burdened to make money because God has actually raised you to fund the end time harvest that's coming up. So there's people here, there's probably a few, that your deep cry, your deep cry is, Lord, I'm, no, actually I hear this, your calling, your calling is to make shifts in your mind that you could be business owners so that you could give extravagantly to the work of the Lord. And some of you, you know exactly who I'm talking about. You close your eyes and you weep because you say, I want to be that person. I've had two or three people come to me with tears in their eyes. They said, Pastor George, I want to write that check for $2 million to to pay off all the expenses. And they would weep when they say that. And I'm thinking, how can they weep? Because the Lord told me that's their calling. So I want you to close your eyes right now. If you're in this room, my gosh. If you, if you felt that this message spoke to you, and either one, you want to take that leap of faith to say, I want to discover what's more inside of me. I knew it. That's my friend right there. Uh, I know it. There's people that are burning, that are burning for this. God has called you. Come on, lift up your hands. If you're a business owner right now, if you say, the Lord has, has spoken to me that I will make money to fund the kingdom of God, and this is a purpose, and I want to be able to be used in this area. Lift up your hands. This very specific call. If that's you, come to this altar quickly. God has blessed you with a, with a talent, with a burden, and God is going to do that through you as long as you are able to realize that this is also a ministry. The financial realm is a ministry. Come on. Business owners, those who are, who are in that realm, that's right. Make yourself presentable for God. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the gospel will not lack. Lord Jesus, you're raising up businessmen and businesswomen to fund the kingdom of God. Come on, I want leaders to pray right now.
your burden. For the business owners, for finances, show us your glory, Lord. I hear the Lord saying, your business is not only for you, it's for others to benefit. Your idea is going to set you free, for it is the Lord your God that gives you ability to get wealth. For those who've been in a financial rut right now, I pray for those that feel that they're in a cycle of bondage when it comes to finances. Loose them and set them free, Father, in the name of Jesus. I see creative ideas. I see uh, like, like downloads, downloads of creativity. And you're saying to yourself, what is this? And I'm going to answer you. It is the Lord preparing you for what you were made for, for your purpose. Some of you, you're going to be called to fund the kingdom of the Lord. Others, you're going to move in a direction where it's going to free you to do ministry. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, you give us wisdom. Yes, I just keep hearing that. I keep hearing this. There's people that have a real burden, a real burden to be trusted to make money so they can fund the kingdom. And I'm going to be honest with you. That was foreign to me many years ago. I said, Lord, are you really, are you really raising up people that have a burden like I do for the church, but they have it for finances to, to be able to, to release the finances to the work of the Lord? And the Lord said, yes, I'm raising up people that cry at night, that weep. Lord, let it be so. I'm just hearing this right now. I haven't, hold on for a second. There's a moment in Moses' life that the people were so blessed in their giving that he actually had to say, stop giving. I'm going to pray for every person right now that you're, you're needing a financial breakthrough. Just claim that right now as we pray. But secondly, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask if you are specifically a business owner or have a business mindset and you feel that, listen, God has called you called you with a purpose and a burden and a burden to give towards the work of the Lord. Specifically, you have a burden to give for the work of the Lord. Lift up your hands right now. I know some of you have already come up. I'm going to ask you something boldly. Can you get out of your seats one more time and come meet me right here? Just, just come meet me right here in these steps if you can. All I'm going to do is pray a blessing over you. All I'm going to do, if you feel specifically God has called you, either as an entrepreneur or someone to, to steward finances so that one day you could release them for the work of the Lord, for missionaries, for, to, to, to make sure the work of the Lord happens. I want you to come very close to me. I've never, ever given an altar call like this before. I want you to come. I want you to come. My friends, come up here. Come up closer. I'm actually, I'm actually shocked at how many people are coming. This is... This is it makes me want to cry, to be honest. For the sake of privacy, I won't mention their name, but I know they know they're here with me right now. They're here in this altar call. But a couple years ago, and I've said this story before, and a couple years ago, me and Pastor Keith, 
give me, give me a second before you pray, before you pray. I want, I want to make sure that they all hear this, and then we'll pray. Me and Pastor Keith went to a, a home, listen to me, to, to baptize people. No one came. So we ended up talking to this family, and this one person looked at me and says, Pastor George, you have no idea what I would give. I, I feel the presence of God just thinking right now. The burden I carry to make the church of Jesus financially free and, and, and the burden I carry as a business person to be able to give the church $5 million. And, he, and this person said that money so that nothing will have to be worried about. The staff will be paid. The work of the Lord will come. And I'm going to be very honest with you. When that person said that, in my mind, I'm like, who thinks about that? Who, who, who really thinks about that? And the Lord rebuked me because I turned to the person, and as I turned to the person, they were weeping uncontrollably. And I went, and I wept his, and I, and I went, and his wife was weeping. And they were both weeping because they felt, this is a call of God over my life. And I drove home, and I said, Lord, I am sorry that I misjudged the burden that you've placed on people only as a spiritual burden, only as someone that wants to get people saved, but you've actually really raising up people that weep for this. And he says, don't take it for granted from now on. And so to you, I say this. There is a real burden that God has promised you. There's a real burden that God has placed on you to be kingdom movers, to be able to release the financial realm with joy so that the work of the Lord could continue years after you leave. I'm going to say this. The people... <laughs> the people who are usually called to this have the greatest attacks of finances on their life. Why? Because God knows, the enemy knows, if you ever get a hold of this, you'll break the cycle of the enemy over your family and over the church. And that's a huge responsibility that God is trusting you for that. So I want you to lift up your hands. John and Sandra, come over here. Get, get closer here. Get, get right there. I want everyone to lift up your hands. I want to do something. I want the church, leaders and non-leaders, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to stretch your hands to these people. I don't fully understand it, but this is a real burden. This is a real burden. You've been attacked in your finances. Your friends and family have stolen from you. Jobs have not opened up because there's a destiny. There's a destiny that you are going to leave an inheritance for the kingdom of God. You're going to be like Solomon and David that you said, I want to release the kingdom on this earth. And I release that right now. Those of you who are in this altar and you have felt the burden of the Lord, I say that this is from the Lord and I come against every attack of the enemy on your finances to stop you from the purpose of God. Make no mistake about it, says the Lord. The reason why you've been attacked in this area is because you are going to make so many people free in this area. The Lord says continue daughter continue son do not give up do not give up i'm about to open doors for you there's creative 
such a time as this. I feel the Spirit of God about to shift things and change things. I come against discouragement and I declare that heavenly ideas, heavenly power, heavenly thoughts will come and you will know what to do and you will see the financial realm extend so that you can leave an inheritance. So I release it. Come on leaders, right now pray. Right now, the glory of God. Let it come now, Lord. Restore the finances in these ones. Restore those that have, got, have had losses in the name of Jesus. It's not over yet. It's just the beginning. 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 I declare. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.